we come this morning to what I think is the most peculiar miracle that Jesus ever performed. The most peculiar. I was thinking about that word, peculiar. Now, if I were to use that word, something is peculiar. What would come into your mind? What comes into your mind when you think of something or someone that is peculiar? Strange, right, Johnny? Yes, some of you said out of the ordinary. That's exactly right. The idea of something or someone peculiar, well, talk to Tabitha about that. The number of times when I'm doing something completely oddball around her house, she just looks at me like I've lost my mind. Um, She knows full well what the word peculiar means. But the word peculiar actually has two meanings. Did you know that? The word peculiar does not just mean strange or unusual. This miracle is strange and unusual. Jesus comes across a man who is blind. And he takes him aside by his hand out of the city, and then he spits on his eyes. That's strange. Okay, can we just acknowledge that? That's unusual. And then he touches his eyes, and he says, look up. Can you see anything? And the man looks at this whole, this whole scene is so strange. Look at what he says in verse 24. And he looked up, kind of opening his probably encrusted eyes, and said, I see men as trees walking. That's peculiar, okay? That's unusual. Jesus puts his hand on him again. And then he says... And made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. This is unusual. Do you know this is the only miracle in the entire gospel record in which Jesus healed someone in stages? We're used to Jesus healing people and just saying, be healed, and they're immediately better. They're immediately perfectly cured. This is the only miracle in all of the Gospels that takes place progressively in steps. Do you know also, it is the only only place this miracle is provided is in this Gospel in Mark. It's not in Matthew. It's not in Luke. It's not in John. It's only in Mark. This is peculiar. This is unusual. But friends, do you know that's not the only meaning of the word peculiar? The word peculiar also has the idea of being special, of being unique. Sometimes we remember in our King James translation that in the book of 1 Peter, it said that we are a peculiar people. No, he's not calling you a bunch of oddballs. Some of us are a peculiar people. Let's be entirely honest. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying a peculiar people because you are God's special people. You are God's chosen people. His unique, set-apart people. And so can we say that this is a peculiar miracle both because it's unusual but also because it's special? I think when we look into these simple verses this morning, you are going to see that this miracle is unique. It's special, it is profound, and it has a wonderful place in the context that we have been working through together in this gospel 
of Mark. The title of the message this morning is A Peculiar Miracle. A Peculiar Miracle. And if you're into subtitles or if you want to put a colon at the end of that and say simply, From Blindness to Sight. From Blindness to Sight. Now, let's see. I just want to identify three unique aspects of this miracle that will help us, I think, come into how special it is, how unique, how remarkable it is for us to study together. The first thing we're going to see is that it was a private miracle, a private miracle. Now, Jesus before has healed people very publicly where large crowds were there for him to see. But I want us to notice that this miracle was intended to be less public and more private. Will you dive into this with me? Look in your Bibles at Mark chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 22 as we just bring ourselves into this context. Verse 22 says, And he cometh to Bethsaida. Now pause right there. There's a place here that he's talking about. Bethsaida. Now, just a little bit of historical background for those of you who are interested by these kind of biographical details. Bethsaida was a village. And actually today, we don't know fully where it is. Most people think, most scholars think that Jesus is, that the scripture here is referring to a village just northeast of the Sea of Galilee, right near the Jordan River, because the Jordan River feeds into the Sea of Galilee on the eastern side of Israel, historical Israel, and then goes all the way down, the Jordan River goes all the way down to south to the Dead Sea. It's actually, if you've been to Israel, you maybe have seen both of those, the Dead Sea in the south and the Sea of Galilee in the north. The name Bethsaida means house of the fisher, house of fishermen. And actually, in the Bible, in John chapter 1, it's recorded that Bethsaida was the hometown of Philip, of Peter and of Andrew. They were actually from Bethsaida. Now, some people, again, I don't want to give you too much uh, unnecessary detail. Some people have said there may have been two villages of Bethsaida. We don't know for sure, but we know this Bethsaida was a place that had some biblical significance. We know from Luke chapter 9 that the feeding of the 5,000 happened right around Bethsaida. We know from historical sources it was identified that Capernaum, where Jesus has situated his Galilean ministry, was only about six miles or so away from this village. Actually, it's ruins today. Um, this whole area around here, there are ruins of villages, and actually archaeologists don't even know which one totally is Bethsaida. Um, but we know that Jesus had a ministry that was there. So here Jesus goes into Bethsaida, and notice, secondly, they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. Now here's a person that we can look at, a person who is blind. Now blindness was a significant, it was just endemic to life in that day. And not just through what we would call um, congenital blindness. Congenital blindness is something you are born with. But actually, in historical times, blindness was not just something that you were born with. It was the result of poor sanitation, of bacterial infections that people didn't know how to deal with. In fact, today, there's a condition that is known as trachoma. And it is a bacterial kind of blindness 
that is results that affects apparently up to 2 million people or so around the world, particularly in third world or other countries where they don't know how to take care of this. And it is not congenital blindness. You become blind as your eyes almost seal together. And, and, and these kinds of, we don't know whether this man was congenitally blind or had some other condition of blindness. But in that day, those that were blind would often have crusted eyes, flies swarming around them. They could not work. They had a challenging, challenging existence. Not to mention that in Jewish culture, if someone was blind, many times they thought, well, it's because it's your fault. You've done something for that reason. You remember in John chapter 9, Jesus, as they were passing with his disciples, a man that was born blind, his disciples said to him, well, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? I mean, think about the cruelty of that. And Jesus corrects him. He says, it wasn't either of those things. This man was born blind so that the glory of God, the grace of God could be revealed in him. And so there was this stigma in some ways, certainly in Jewish circles, against those who had this condition of blindness. But what this man did have was some good friends, some people who led him to Jesus. And notice what they did. They besought him. They pleaded with him to touch him. Now stop there for just a moment. Why would these people have pleaded with Jesus to touch him? Well, that tells you they knew who Jesus was. They knew that his touch had brought power to bear on others who were sick, others who had various physical conditions that needed to be healed. It's possible that they themselves had been healed by Jesus. We can't rule that out. We can't rule out that some of these people may have been touched themselves by Jesus and said to their blind friend, we need to get you to Jesus. And so just picture this picture, this, this, this illustration in your mind of these men walking with Jesus, holding, walking to Jesus, I should say, holding this blind man by the arm, saying, Jesus, please touch this man. We know you can heal him. And notice what Jesus does. Verse 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. What a strange thing, right? Jesus didn't have a problem curing people publicly before, but this man, he takes him, and notice what he says, by the hand. There's a wonderful, wonderful thing, isn't there, about taking people by the hand and leading them? I just love when we see even Johnny, our friend here, and we have different ones of you leading him by the hand to places. It shows the love and the care and the affection that we have for Johnny as such a valued member of our community. But then others of you who, who grab a child by the hand and lead them where they need to go. There's something wonderfully tender, compassionate, gentle about this. And just have this picture of Jesus. Here, come here. It's like he takes the hand from the friends and says, I've got you. Never forget that Jesus was someone who delighted in physical touch of those to show his compassion. Do you know, physical touch really communicates two things, at least. One thing it communicates is affection. I care about you. And if you want to prove this, you know. People that you don't know, people that are strangers, there's a kind of touch that they will have to you that would be very offensive that would be very, very off-putting and disconcerting because you would say, I don't know you like that. There is an affection that touch 
signifies, but there's also this. It also communicates, you can trust me. You allow varying levels of physical touch based on your trust for one another. I don't want to get too far afield, but by the way, I say to those of us who are married, physical touch is absolutely powerful to our life together as married couples. And even the secular world sees this. Our, our connection, our love, our trust for one another is, is, is cemented by our just regular physical affectionate touch of one another. You think of when you were first dating and you held hands and it sent your heart flying like, like crazy. And actually science has shown, there's studies that have shown that, that, that spouses who, who, who regularly have just very, even brief but intentional acts of affection toward one another, they have lower stress levels, cortisol levels, they have greater oxytocin, the kind of, the kind of happy hormone. And, and I think we should realize in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when scripture says there's a benevolence and affection for our spouses that are due to one another, that are owing, we owe to them. I think we would be wrong if we just think that is referring to a kind of physical or, or sexual affection. There is an affection of love and of trust that we owe to one another. No, our marriages are not all going to look like the same on that. But I hope you won't let your familiarity with one another put away what is absolutely God has made to be essential to our marriage together, our affection for one another. Notice here, Jesus was not afraid to express that kind of affection to people, even strangers, and to say, you can trust me. I have your best here at heart. Well, what do we learn just from this first unique aspect? It was, a, it was a private miracle. I think one thing for the man himself, it was communicating to him, you are important to me. I'm going to take you away from the hustle and bustle of, crowd, of the crowd. I'm going to bring you outside of town, and I'm going to deal directly and personally with you. He said, you're important to me. You're special. But I think he also was saying something to the friends. The friends brought him to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you touch him? And Jesus says, come here. And he takes him by the hand, and he leads him out and does this private and very unique, peculiar miracle. Do you think Jesus was saying to his friends, you know what? Guys, I've got this one, and I'll do it my own way, not your way. I can heal him as, as I see fit, not just like, like you are telling me to do it. And I'll just say, there's, I think there's a lesson here for us. It's very easy for us to experience the touch of Jesus Christ in a particular way in our own lives and kind of assume that everyone else is going to experience it in exactly the same ways. And if they don't, maybe something's wrong. And Jesus heals people in different ways and touches them and encounters their life in different ways because he's saying to them and he's saying to us, I do it my way because I know what's best. If you've ever read the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, the series from C.S. Lewis, there's a phrase that C.S. Lewis uses, and it comes back over and over, and it goes something like this. You know that if you've read those books, that Aslan, the lion, is the picture of Jesus. is an allegory of Jesus. And C.S. Lewis says repeatedly through those books, through different characters, he says, he's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. Speaking of Jesus. There's a real profound truth there. He's saying... Jesus isn't under your control. He's not under your thumb. He's not going to 
say how high when you say jump. He's going to say, I know what I'm doing, and I will do it my way. And there's a real wonderful humility that all of us should have, like these friends, when we bring someone to Jesus and he touches them, and maybe in a way that's different from, our, from how we received that touch, or he's working in their life in a way that we don't totally understand is different from how he's working in our life, yet it's clearly and biblically Jesus, we can say, all right, he's not a tame lion. I can trust what he's doing here. There's a wonderful message, I think, to these friends, but there's also a wonderful message to the disciples, isn't there? We're going to see later, I think, that Jesus is communicating something to them too. And now he brings this man outside of the hustle and bustle, likely a small group, maybe just his disciples, maybe these friends, maybe this man, and they get to come in on this private miracle as well. Notice, first of all, it's a private miracle. But secondly, I want us to notice what, what also makes this miracle peculiar is that it's a parallel miracle. A parallel miracle. What do I mean? Parallel, of course, is something that they go side by side, like railroad tracks, right up one against another. Does this miracle remind you of any miracles that we've studied recently in the Gospel of Mark? Any miracles come to mind? The one, the the healing of the person who was deaf and who could not speak? Should we just refresh ourselves on that really quickly? Go back to chapter 7. Just flip. Maybe it's one page back. Maybe it's on the same two-sheet page that you're on now. Look at verse 31. Jesus has come through the midst of the coast of Decapolis, and they bring unto him one that was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they beseech him. Again, friends are bringing this man. They beseech him to put his hand upon him. Jesus touched this man. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Atphatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed. And he spake plain and he charged them that they should tell no man. So what are the key characteristics of of that previous miracle? There were both physical impediments. They were both brought by friends, brought by others. The friends were asking for Jesus to touch him, exercise his physical touch. Both Jesus brought them aside privately. In both, Jesus did touch, but he used a unique kind of process. In both, he used his own saliva to place on the man. And in both, he says, don't tell anybody. Don't go spread it around. Is this just an accident? I don't think this is an accident. Do you know both of these miracles are only given in Mark? Mark only gives the the, the miracle of the blind man that we read, and he's the only one who gives this progressive miracle of the, the blind man, the deaf man and the blind man are both healed. You say, what's going on here? Is, the, is there intended to be a similarity? I think there may be, and we'll see if you see this with me in this. I'm certainly not the only one to have seen this. Let's look at the context for just a minute. I want to suggest to you that in Mark chapter 8, we're driving toward a pinnacle, a kind of mountaintop. And do you know we're one week from reaching the mountaintop, if you will, of the book of Mark? Can you just scan your eyes down here with verse 27 through verse 30? And 
Can anyone summarize what happens in that short four verses? What happens? They go to Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus says to them, who do people say that I am? Who, what's my reputation? And they say, well, some of you, some say he's Elijah. Some say he's one of the prophets. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And what does Peter stand up boldly to say? You are the Christ. Do you know what that word Christ means? You are the Messiah. It literally means you are the anointed one. You are God's chosen messenger and leader for the Jewish people. You're the Messiah. That's what that meant. Why do you think Mark, immediately before uh, Peter makes this triumphant proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, he identifies the healing of the blind in a way no one else does? By the way, we'll talk about more about Peter's declaration next week. Do you know this is the first time in the gospel anyone has identified Jesus as the Christ? The first time that Mark records is right here. Remember chapter 1 and verse 1. Mark begins this gospel by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now we don't hear that name. We don't hear that word for another seven chapters until we get into Mark chapter 8. And now Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ. We've been building toward this moment when Jesus is recognized as the Messiah. You say, okay, I don't understand, Pastor. What's going on here? Let me suggest this. The healing of those who were blind and the healing of those who were deaf was a clear signal that the Messiah was here. That's what I think is going on here. If you want to prove it, turn over. Keep your finger in Mark 8, but turn over to Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 11. Just flip back one book, one gospel to the book of Matthew and look with me in Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist is in prison. And he has heard from his disciples that this man, Jesus, who he knows, he's already identified him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But now he might be doubting a little bit. He might be wondering. And so listen to what he says in verse 3 of chapter 11. He said, he sent his disciples who said to Jesus, Art thou he that should come? Are you the Messiah? That's what he's saying. Or do we look for another? Tell us, are you, are you the Messiah? John the Baptist is ans asking these questions. And listening to what Jesus says in verse 4. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. You want to know the answer about whether I'm the Messiah? Listen to his proof. The blind receive their sight. The very first thing. You want to know that I'm the Messiah? The blind receive their sight. Listen to what else he says. And the lame walk. Have we seen lame people walk so far in the Gospel of Mark? You bet we have. The lepers are cleansed. Have we seen lepers cleansed so far in the book of Mark? Yeah, we have. And the deaf hear. Have we seen deaf people hear so far in the, book of, in, in the gospel of Mark? The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. You say, why was Jesus connecting Healing of blind and healing of, of deaf to his claim to be Messiah? Well, because this is what we see in the Old Testament. Some of you, in, in a month or so, you're going to go to a, a performance of Handel's Messiah, 
when you look ahead to the Messiah, and do you know one of the words you'll hear sung prophetically from Isaiah chapter 35 is, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. And then we, we're, you're going to hear these words sung. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap as an heart like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb of the speech impaired shall sing. People should have known that when someone came healing the blind and healing the deaf, that it was the Messiah who had come. And now Jesus is healing this man who is blind. Do you think maybe one of his disciples got it? Do you think Peter might, this might have been something that opened his eyes? Oh, this is the sign of the Messiah. We don't know for sure, but I don't think it's an accident where it's placed here. It's a parallel miracle to this miracle of the deaf, because I think it's showing the Messiah power and the Messiah character of Jesus. So first of all, it's a private miracle. Secondly, it's a parallel miracle. And then third, And maybe most peculiarly, it's a progressive miracle. A progressive miracle, something that happens progressively, in stages, in steps. Now, will you look at this with me? Verse 23 of Mark chapter 8. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes... And put his hands upon him. He asked him if he saw aught. That means anything. Do you see anything? And he looked up, opening his eyes, and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now, there's something here that's potentially off-putting about this. Again, Jesus spits in this man's eyes. He's got saliva undoubtedly mixed up with the kind of crusting and and other things that had closed this man's eyes entirely over time. And he places his hands on his eyes and the man looks up. And what does he see? Now let's think about that phrase. I see men as trees walking. What on earth is he saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I see people. But to me, they just look like trees. They're just shapes. And he's saying the only way I can tell them apart from trees is what? They're walking. I haven't seen a lot of trees walking around, to be clear. And so he says, all I see are kind of vague shapes. And I know they're people only because they're walking. But otherwise, I couldn't tell them apart from a tree. They're just, they're just an object right there, somewhere in my vision. So what's happened here? Jesus has healed him partially. He can see a little bit, but he can't see perfectly or clearly. Then notice, he put his hands again upon his eye and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now, this word clearly, actually in the Greek, has the idea of at a distance, of way off. It's like, here's a guy who could only see men as vague shapes. Now he opens his eyes, and he, you would say he has 20-20 vision. He can see perfectly off into a distance, crisply and clearly, and with complete comprehension. 
This is the only progressive miracle that Jesus had. What is going on? Well, let's go back to that miracle with the deaf man. Do you remember what we said when Jesus did this very unique thing, spit, and he touched his ears, and he looked up to heaven, and he sighed? Do you remember what we, what we concluded? That Jesus was, had a kind of sign language for that man who couldn't hear, who couldn't hear the truth about Jesus proclaimed. Jesus was using sign language to communicate to this man in a way that built his faith, that stirred his faith that Jesus was the one who had the power to heal him. Do you know, friends, I think it's very similar to here. Notice, notice something unique. This man didn't come to Jesus of his own accord. His friends brought him. This man didn't ask Jesus to heal him. His friends did. And that way, it's exactly like the, the healing of the deaf man. The deaf man was brought to Jesus, and other people asked him to heal them. Can I ask you what should be an easy answer? Could Jesus have healed him instantaneously without touching him? Do you know how we know that? Because two chapters later, we're going to look at the story of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, a man who didn't need much encouragement in faith because when he heard Jesus was there, he just said, Jesus, have mercy. Just heal me. Heal me. And Jesus said, you're healed. Didn't even touch him from what it says. Just spoke, and he was instantly healed. His eyes were open. Jesus had the power to heal someone without touching and at a moment's command and heal them perfectly. So what was he doing here? I think just like this man who was deaf, he was just progressively increasing this man's faith. He took him by the hand to say, you can trust me. I care about you. He led him out of town to show the importance of this man to him directly. He spit on his eyes to recognize, to communicate to this man that it's me who's healing you. There's no, there's no magic special thing here. I am the one who is interacting with you in a way that will bring about your healing and then causes him to look up. And now this man can see partially and now he knows that Jesus has done something for him, that this man has power to, to heal him. And then Jesus touches his hand and completes the healing, bringing about, drawing out the most important thing about this man, his faith in who Jesus was. I think that's the best answer for why Jesus chose to do a progressive miracle with this man. Is that the only unique or special thing about this story, about why Jesus made a progressive a miracle in stages? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think you need to see, and we need to see something about the context again of this passage that may open up something very precious and very special for us. Do you remember last week when we talked about disciples who didn't get it? After all the years of being with Jesus, they didn't get it. Will you look back with me a couple verses here from verse 22? Look at verse 17. Jesus is rebuking them. He's, he says to them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? And look at verse 18. Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? And he closes verse 21 saying, How is it that ye do not understand? Do you think it's a, 
it's a complete coincidence that after Jesus just is rebuking his disciples, saying, don't you see? You have eyes. Are you using them in a spiritual perception that here Mark places the healing of a blind man that Jesus heals step by step? Notice what comes next. This is a sandwich. This miracle is sandwiched by a couple things. Not only Jesus rebuking his disciples for not seeing clearly, but in the next very passage, when Peter says, you are the Christ, in a sense, it's like his eyes have been opened. Do you remember how Jesus responds to Peter, not in this gospel, but as it's recorded for us in the book of Matthew? Do you remember what Jesus says to him? He says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, which is in heaven, Peter's eyes opened, but it wasn't you. It was God. Your eyes got opened. You saw. And you know, friend, if there's any proof I think that is needed that these disciples' eyes were being opened in stages, Peter's the prime example. Right after he says to Jesus, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, God revealed that to you. How does Peter then respond? What happens exactly next? Jesus says, here's what's going to happen to the Christ, to the Messiah. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be spit on. He's going to suffer. And he's going to die. And Peter says to him, Lord, no. He begins to rebuke him. He says, that's not what the Messiah is going to have happen to him. And Jesus turns around him and says, get behind me, Satan. What was the story of Peter? His eyes were opened, but not perfectly, not clearly. He didn't see everything. His eyes needed to be opened, just like this blind man in stages, seeing more and more and more of who Jesus actually really was. And friends, do you know the same thing is true for me and for you? Do you know that before you became a Christian. The Bible said you were blind. 2 Corinthians 4 says, but if our gospel be hid, veiled, it is veiled to them that are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. What is the condition of those who do not see Jesus for who he truly is? The Bible says they are blinded. But 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6 says, But God, who shined the light out of darkness, has shined into our hearts to give the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you know if you're a Christian here today, it's because God opened your eyes and you saw Jesus for who he truly is. You should praise him for that. You should worship him for that. He's the one who opened your eyes, not you. He's the one who caused light to come into your heart, not you. He's the one who enabled you to see the glory of Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior. That's his work. Just like Jesus putting his hands on a blind man and opening his eyes. But do you know, friends, the very same thing is true for you, just like it is for Peter and just like it was for this blind man. There are many stages of blindness that need to be revealed in our own Christian lives. There are many steps where we need to be touched by Jesus to see a little more clearly. How do we know this? Well, Ephesians 1 tells us this. 
Do you remember in Ephesians 1, Paul is praying for this church at Ephesus. And what does he pray? He says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that ye may know. And he goes on to list all the things that he hopes they know by the eyes of their understanding being enlightened. Friends, these were already Christian people. Their eyes had been opened. But do you know what Paul says? I, I want your eyes to be opened more and more for you to see more and more and to know more and more. And that's why I think this miracle is so precious. It's so special. Because what happened to this blind man is what's happened to you if you're in Christ. And it's what Jesus wants to keep on doing to you. He wants to open more and more and more and more of your vision so you see him more and more clearly. Not just like a, a vague kind of trees walking around, but you see things clearly and way off in the distance. You say, how am I going to do that? Well, yes, it's the touch of Jesus, but I go back to what the psalmist says in another similar passage. He says, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Do you know, friend, how God chooses to open our eyes to spiritual realities? He uses this book and he brings it to your sight by the Holy Spirit of God who takes this book and applies it to your life. Friend, I want to ask you this morning, have your eyes ever been opened for the first time to who Jesus is? Maybe today for the first time you say, I'm seeing Jesus differently than I've ever seen him before. Do you know there's light for you to see Jesus and receive him as your Savior and as your Lord? Don't walk out this door today. Don't go on your daily life if you can see Jesus clearly and you want to accept him as your king, accept him as your Savior, trust him for the forgiveness of your sins and the possession of eternal life with him. Don't leave today unless you're certain whether you've seen him as your savior. But Christian, there's more for you to see too. There's more to see than you see right now. I want to ask you this morning, is the hunger of your heart to say, I want to see more. Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your word. Open the eyes of my understanding that I might know more about who you are. If that's you this morning, and I hope it is, then why don't you just come to Jesus by faith and say, I need to get, I need to get my eyes touched again. I need to get some, some improvement in my spiritual vision. I need to go to the word of God and trust the spirit of God to reveal more and more about who Jesus is and what he has done and wants to do in me. Friends, this is a peculiar miracle. It's a very strange one, but I hope today you agree with me that it's a peculiar one because it's special, because it communicates something wonderfully, not just about who Jesus is, but about who you are and what Jesus wants to continually and progressively do in opening your spiritual eyes to see more and more clearly.